What I want to do this morning is, we, we spoke last week about, uh, we, we had a 10 days with the church out in California, Bethel, that sees remarkable presence of God, remarkable testimonies, a remarkable community of men and women who have great hope. And rather than just um, come back and just say a couple of uh, bullet points, well actually over a number of weeks, just to talk about what it was that really impacted us and what it was that really touched us, because I think that's what's going to, we'll go with into the future. We were in a, a conference with about 80 people, and it was a Q&A time, question and answer time, and uh, Steve Backland was one of the guys leading the session. And I knew that Steve Backland had led a church in the desert of Nevada, and uh, a gold mining community, and I knew he'd led a very, very small church, and I knew he had a heart for pastors and leaders in smaller communities. So I thought it was interesting to ask the question, what advice would you give to a small church? And he said these words, which, you know, sometimes you, hit, you, you know the right answer and you've heard the right answer and you know it yourself. But there's moments <coughs> where faith gets ignited in a fresh and deeper way. You know, you can hear things like you've never heard them before. And he said this, small churches can change the world. So that's what we said in our church in Nevada. And for any of you who know the story of the church in California, Bethel, which is impacting the world, and they're going all around the world, and they're impacting nation after nation after nation, and igniting communities to believe God, to have greater hope, to see more of the miraculous, to release the body of men and women who know who they are in Christ. If you know anything about the church, you'll know that actually... Bill Johnson and his team started off in the mountains in Weaverville in a community of 3,000 people. And they were in a church that probably was between 125 to maybe 275, between those numbers. And they were there for 17 years. And that little church is still a little church in a little community, in a little mountain town. But the legacy of that little church is they birthed leaders who now go all around the world. And 17 years, Bill Johnson and others would have been faithfully serving church, very much like ours, uh, the size of ours. And, and yet the legacy of that little tiny mountain church is now going all around, and yet they're still a small community. Small churches can say, can change the world. Because we sometimes think, or maybe it's just me that thinks this, do you ever, ever, maybe you think this about yourself or about the church, you think when we are, when we're a hundred, then we'll begin to change our community. And then you think, you get to a hundred, you think, no, no, it's not a hundred, it's about 150. When you get to 150, then you go, and then you're going to change your community. You probably get to 150 and start thinking, yes, yeah, when you're at 220. And so we'll uh, put off that until we're 220. It's 220 churches that change the world. Or, and then you get to 220, no, no, it's 500 churches that change the world. <laughs> Because, you, because we all believe somehow that to enter into the things that God has said and spoken over us, we just need to be a little bigger, a little more mature, a little stronger, know a little bit more, be a little bit more capable. And we always want to put it into the future. But it, it, it's wonderful when we come to the point where actually small churches can change the world. Small churches can bless their community. Small churches can have an impact on Thamesmead, Woolwich, Plumstead, Abbey Wood, 
Bexley Heath. Small churches can change things in their location. And it's wonderful to, to look and see actually how many people were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. About 120. So this promise of Joel that was spoken of, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, arrives to a small church. It then says that 3,000 got saved and added, but it wasn't when the church was 3,000 that God suddenly visited them. God said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. A small community. Naturally, it was 500 who witnessed that Jesus was resurrected, and some of them doubted, but it was only 120 who were in the upper room. Small church had a huge impact, were there as God fulfilled his great promise. I, want us to, I just want us to know that God hasn't put us here, and God hasn't put you in your job, and you in your college, and you in your workplace, just to survive. You know, sometimes small, when we feel small, I don't think there's actually thing wrong with feeling, knowing you're small. I think there's something good about knowing, actually, I can't. But then it has to turn around so I know God can. But God hasn't put you where you are and put us where we are and put us together as a community just so that we're going to survive. <laughs> God's got bigger plans than that. He didn't put the 120 in the upper room and said, you grit your teeth, you, you just try and stick together, you might just make it for when I come back. No, actually, he said to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's coming upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in all these locations where you live, the communities around you, the communities around that, and the communities you know nothing about. Because I've put you here to be fruitful. It's great to know that it was Peter that stood up on that day as the spokesman for the church. Peter, who had been shaking like a leaf a little while ago, and terrified of association with Jesus, suddenly is the spokesman saying, this is the, this is the Christ you've crucified, and cut, they're cut to the quick and said, what must we do? <laughs> Repent and be baptised. See, we, we're not just having a go at something here. You know, we'll, see how, we'll have a go and see how it turns out. out. We'll, we'll come along every Sunday and we're just having a go. We'll bide our time. It's just something we do. Let's see what happens. Maybe it will work. Maybe it won't work. Maybe we'll affect Plumstead. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll affect Woolwich. Maybe we won't. Or maybe, or maybe you think that about your own family. Maybe they're going to get saved. Maybe they're not. Maybe I'm going to influence my workplace. Maybe I'm not. It's just me and God anyway. Actually, we're here with promises from God. We're here because God's got a plan for us. We're meeting this morning to encounter him as a family because God's got a plan for each and every person here and God's got a plan for this community here because God absolutely loves the community. He absolutely loves where you work. He absolutely loves what you do. He's got a plan for you where you operate and where you work. He loves it. 
He loves what you do. You're not just biding time for heaven. He loves the passions you've got when you go to work and what you would love to see happen in your workplace and what you would love to see happen in the relationships in your workplace and what you would love to see happen in your business. You're not just going there seeing how it can turn out. He loves, he loves your passion for what you do. He's got a plan for us here. It says of um, Abraham, God doesn't hide anything from his friends. You know, we won't, I'm not going to hide anything from my friends. So he prophetically speaks to a community and says, actually, I want to disclose to you my big plans for you. My big plans for your local church. My big plans for this local community. My big plans for this congregation. He doesn't hide anything from his friends. He wants his friends to know what he's about, what he wants to do. And so for us, say as a local community, one of the big prophetic promises we've got is God saying, I want you to be the kind of community that takes buckets full of my presence everywhere you go into the community. I want you to know that. You're, that's the kind of people you are. That you're to have dis, disappro- uh, inappro- disappropriate influence, you know, disproportionate influence. You're to, take, you're to percolate and flavour the community. I've not just put you here to get in a bunker and maybe survive, I've, I put you here to impact this local area for good. I put you here to believe for the miraculous, for the healing touch of God, for God to break into situations and circumstances and people's lives. So it was great joy last week when we were treasure hunting, this guy came out and we were able to say to him, how's your neck, is it still better? Yeah, it's better, thank you. Because suddenly you're going out and they're, you're beginning to get stories where God touched somebody, God healed somebody. Where you can say, uh, right there, we met a woman who didn't have a house. And she'd been trying to get a house for four years and has got five children. And we met her because we were looking for a double buggy. And she came the road with a double buggy. And we said, what do you need God to do? And she said, I know this sounds a bit lame, but I need a bigger house. God can do that. We've seen God do that. We prayed just bless her with a bigger house. Bless her with a garden. Ten days later, she's there, waving, saying, it worked, it worked. I've got a three-bedroom house in the same area as my mum in Abbey Wood. So suddenly it's out there. Amen. It's wonderful. That people, because he loves people. He loves the community. He loves the people around us. He wants to save people. Significant evangelistic breakthroughs. He, he loves to save people because he loves people. He just loves people. He, he, all, the whole Bible is a book of a God who's saying, I want people back home. I want to bring people back home. I want to deal with the issues of their heart. I want to deal with sin. I want to deal with where they've fallen short of the glory. I want to lift them up and make them glorious again. I want to share my glory with them. Jesus is like, in John 17 when he prays. I'm going to share my glory with them so they become glorious. That's how we get to give God glory because we've got glory to give him. He loves people so much. He loves your husband or your wife. He loves that person in your office. He loves the people you work with. He just absolutely loves people. And his kindness wants to bring them to a place of changing their mind about him and changing them, their mind about themselves. And they'll come to a place of saying, I yield to you, I surrender to you, I want to come home. Because he absolutely loves people. 
He has a heart for the poor and he has a heart for the marginalised. He has a heart for those who don't have a voice, who don't have power in our society. He has a heart for them. And he, wants to, he wants them to be lifted up out of poverty and be repaired and become mighty oaks of righteousness so that they in turn can have the dignity of becoming repairers of walls of other people. These are prophetic promises that we've got. Present, percolating, miraculous, significant evangelistic breakthrough, loving the poor and the marginalised, being a creative, artistic community. He loves it. He wants to reach the world. He wants to do the world good through you and me. And so to do the things that he's called us to be and to do, we have to believe his assessment of us. We have to believe his assessment. One Timothy one eighteen says, "We fight, we fight, we fight spiritual warfare through the prophetic promises that God has given us." It says in one Timothy one four eighteen, "Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight." The battle well. Holding on to the faith and a good conscience. So you might fight the battle well. How do you fight the battle well? You fight it by reminding yourself. What has God said about us? What has God said about me? What has God called me to be in my life? I want to broaden it. To, it's not, I think I've said this, but I want to broaden it from just what we do as a local church, but who you are when you go out from here. <coughs> who, are, who you are when you go out from this place. And we've heard from Hutisha what's going on in Sky and people getting hungry for Jesus and stuff happening. is who we are as we go. Teachers here. Who you are as you go. You, you, you love kids and you, you're educating them. And you want them to have knowledge, and you want them to be able to read, and you want them to be able to write, and you want them to be able to understand, and you want them to be able to relate to one another, and and get the skills to have interpersonal relationships that work. You're equipping them. You're preparing them. You may not ever get the chance to say about who Jesus is, and why Jesus came, and why Jesus died. You may never get the chance to prophesy over them, or pray for any who are sick. But you are doing a fantastic job in where you are of being a carrier of the presence and the goodness of God. That you're going with expectation, that you, you know this one and you know that one and you know their family. But you begin to dream bigger dreams for them that actually they can break out of the patterns that you've seen maybe in their mum and dad as they've come along. Or not come along to a parent's evening. Yeah. And so as we come in his presence we get filled and as we go, we do the work that we do. Bobby, as you go in Croydon and you, you bring peace in the... And you look for just bringing peace in the way that shopping centre works. You're bringing the kingdom. You may never get a chance to tell them the reason I'm here is because of Jesus and this is the hope I've got. But you're there and you're, and you're, you're bringing the rule of God. Because he looks and he says, I want places where people to shop to be safe places where they can shop in peace. Because he always brings order and he always brings justice. And social workers, as you see brokenness in homes and families, and I, 
I know Hopal and Tracy, when you pray, I, want, I don't want so many kids to be taken into care today. <laughs> I want that to change today. Yeah. You may not be able to give the reasons for why you want it, but you're bringing something where you are. You're bringing the rule of God, the heart of God. I do believe that when we go out, we can prophesy and when we can pray. But so, you know, often what we are, reality, we're paid to do a job, aren't we? <laughs> they want us to do a job and they want us to do it well. That's why I think that small churches can change the world. Because as 50, 60, 70 people go out believing, I am a royal prince or princess of God. Where I go, the kingdom goes. Where I go, peace goes. Where I go, the rule of God goes. I change atmospheres, I shift things, I'm a carrier of hope. Where I go, good things go. And when I come back to the community, I come and tell them the stories of what God did, of what I've seen shifted, of relational peace that's come into my workplace. It starts by believing his assessment. I've got got prophecies about us. See, the prophetic launches us to be everything he intended us to be. It's like we talked a bit about this Gideon when he gets called mighty man of valour. He doesn't feel like a mighty man. He says, I'm the least, my family's the least, and I'm the least in my family. And I love how God ignores all of his arguments of why he can't be used. Go in the strength you've got. You're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman of valour. We can say that over ourselves. Oh, but God is the churches that are about a thousand who are really changing culture. And they're the significant ones because they've got all the leaders and all the resources and all the money. And he just ignores it and says, mighty church of valour. Go in the strength that you've got. (laughs) I don't want to hear your excuses anymore. You might feel, there's other people there, they're bolder than me, they're more courageous than me, and they're better at speaking than me. Or I don't feel I carry much. He ignores all of your excuses and says, go in the strength that you've got. You're a mighty man, you're a mighty woman of valour. When we were at Bethel, this guy, this prophet stood up, and he kept using this phrase, crazy hope. Crazy hope for people. Crazy hope for places. He said, tonight is a night to choose crazy hope. I think today is a day to choose hope. Choosing hope for yourself. Choosing hope for your circumstances. Choosing hope for your situation. Choosing hope for your workplace. Your, every environment you go in, you carry hope. You carry a solution. You carry an answer. Hope starts for yourself when you say, I'm alive right now by the purposes of God. I do what I do for a living as a divine opportunity given by God. doesn't mean you can't get trained or look for promotion or look for other opportunities. But it's just saying, tomorrow morning when you get up, that's who you are. I'm a son and daughter of the living God. I'm, I've got Christ in me, the hope of glory. I live in this city because he positioned me in this city. I was born in this family at this time by the wisdom of God. 
and I'm not here by chance, and I'm not doing what I do by chance. So I want to live today with hope as I go, that I'm going to find wisdom for situations, and I'm going to find strategies for areas where there hasn't been a breakthrough. And and I'm going to do it with my my job with utter joy and utter hope. Because even though it's not my dream job, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord, is what Paul says in Ephesians. I'm going to have hope for my marriage. I'm going to have hope for my relationships. We can declare ourselves, my best days are ahead of me. I'm going to have hope for my future. And I think that starts with fighting the good fight with the prophetic, believing what God says about you. You're more equipped and prepared than you know. You've got divine approval. I just want to finish with this, that just believe that we're to, in our days as a corporate body, we're to live like this. We're to believe and plan for fruit in this new season. Yeah, I think we're just to believe and plan for fruit in this new season. We're to talk about fruit. We're to talk about salvation. We're to talk about people coming to Jesus. We're to talk about being people being snatched out of darkness and being brought into light. When there's a baby on the way in a family, people get the nursery ready. And as, it, as the time gets nearer, they start to buy bottles and blankets and cots and prepare. And they do everything needed to be ready for the baby who's coming. They don't say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get it sorted when the baby's here. Because that, that's going to be a little too late. Because you don't want to be painting a room, putting up a cot and doing all that when the little, when the little one starts to scream. <laughs> you need something somewhere ready. And I think that's what faith does. Faith is sure of what it hopes for and certain of what it doesn't see. And so it prepares and it plans and it gets ready. That's what we're to do in the church. So community groups is about us being given the opportunity to walk deeply with one another. But it's also about providing a context where new babies in Christ are going to have a home to be brought up in relationship. And we're going to look at the whole thing of the Connect course and all the things to help people find their way into this community. Hope and favour and promises gives us permission to rejoice, relax and walk with him in an attitude of celebration. I, I, I say to myself, you are not really believing it until it gets to your face, Jamie. You can say all that you want, but until you have hope, until you learn to rejoice with me, until there's celebration, that you're just celebrating what's to come, you're not really in a place of believing yet. So real believing shapes our emotions. Real believing is able to say, I know that Jesus Christ wants to save at least 40 people in this community over the next few years, and and more. Because actually if you save one person, you see a whole family often saved. That's often how God works. So I'm just going to invite us to stand. Um. <clears throat>